Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February of 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. And when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in ketosis. Oh, yeah. Thriving. Yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. We're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) We have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind that. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. We love to cook and we love to eat. Mm. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe for your non-ignoring pleasure. I tried to ignore it once, you know, and then it painted itself purple, jumped up on the piano and started singing, I'm a recipe! (laughs) (laughs) And I just couldn't ignore it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's start podcast number 106, Healing Obesity with Dr. Eric Westman. Heard you say you're due for a little. Now, he's a doctor. Now he is, yes. (laughs) Do we uh, have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Uh, Last week's show, was that what we got wrong? No, it was fat to satiety. Oh, fat to satiety. Yeah. So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Yeah, I've actually got one quick correction or errata from uh, the What We Got Wrong episode, which was uh, the one we did two episodes back. And that was, I mentioned that uh, Siobhan Huggins discovered that insulin increases scavenger receptor expression as well as inhibiting ABCA1, uh, for example, cholesterol efflux. And she wanted me to to make three points. And the first is she wanted to clarify by discovering that I meant that uh, she and I were discussing something and as a consequence, she found some studies on the topic. Uh, she didn't do the research herself and she just wanted to right. take credit from the wonderful researchers who did that work. Right, right. The other thing she wanted to say was that there were two in vitro studies and thus we can't really say for sure that this is true in the human body uh, or that it works the same way. It does, however, give us a hint and something to investigate further. Very good. And the third thing is she said, I wouldn't necessarily say this in isolation is what causes atherosclerosis, rather that if it works in the same way in vivo, it could be a devastating, exacerbating factor. After Uh. all, if insulin is high, uh, but there's no damage to the endothelium, uh, then uh, there would be no trash to collect in theory. So uh, she she just wanted to be a little bit cautious. She didn't want to take credit for stuff she didn't do. Very good. So that's that's why we love Siobhan. That's why we love her. (laughs) Yeah. And that's my correction. All right. Well, uh, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Sure. Uh, A ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you in a state of ketosis where you're burning fat Mm -hmm. for fuel rather than glucose. And to do that, a surefire way is to limit carbohydrates to 20 grams or less per day. Sure. And it's really important where you get those carbohydrates from. You don't want them from bread or starch or sugar. Mm. Get them from green leafy vegetables, maybe some eggs, maybe some cheese, that kind of stuff, cream. 
Yeah. Protein is moderate. That means one to one and a half grams of protein for every kilogram of lean body mass that you have. And all of your energy should come from fat. fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Fatty, fatty, fat. So, uh, Richard, how was your week? How's university going? That's good. I'm actually up to my second week. Biology that we're doing is pretty basic, so that's pretty boring. But the chemistry that we're doing is all new for me because when I went to school, uh, the quantum model was uh, considered to be a little bit too complex for high school. Mm. And so we used the Bohr model of periodic table and uh, the position of, of electrons. Right. Well, the... Now we're, we're doing quantum mechanics, which is a lot more interesting. And it's a lot more fun. So that's kind of what I'm getting into. Um, we didn't buy a house. We thought we were going to buy a house. It mm. didn't happen. Um, but uh, we are looking at a new property. Uh, maybe after Breckenridge, when we come back, we'll, we'll buy a house. But uh, right now we're just getting ready for Breck. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm flying out on Wednesday, and uh, I'm going to be four days fasted when I fly. Wow. So when I see you guys in Denver, I'll be sort of five days into a fast, and then I'm going to break it at the Breck Keto Dude House. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I can't I wait. Yeah. So how was your week, huh? My week was good. As you heard in uh, last week's show, mm-hmm. I've been doing this very cool experiment in losing weight. Yeah. I had a little bit of a, a I'm not going to say a setback, but I got waylaid by uh, uh, that Mr. Jack Chaplin made some delicious porchetta and I went down there <laughs> and I smelled it and the fennel and everything. Daddy and Jack. I was like, yeah, yeah. I got to have oh, me yeah. some of that. <laughs> <laughs> so... But in, in theory, this is the pattern that I'm going to be using uh, to lose the rest of my weight. It's uh, it's a wonderful pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's wonderful. So, and you're still losing weight, so you know. yeah. I've I, just I, I've just put a wedge into it for a f- for a couple of days, and I'll be I'll be right. back to it. But isn't porchetta still pork belly? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's it's see, it's not what you're eating; it's when and how much. Ah, right? gotcha. Right? course like i i found that if i just eat one meal and i'm done you know around three or four in the afternoon uh, everything works yeah but if i have another one in the evening that drives the wedge in and you know stops everything yeah so it's all about meal timing and it's about for me yeah yeah, making sure your insulin is low for as much as you can during the day. Yep. Um, if you were to have uh, a mouthful of pork belly every hour on the hour for 24 hours, you wouldn't lose any weight. That's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody would say it's all the fat you're eating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yet, if you were to eat exactly the same amount of calories all in one fell swoop at three in the afternoon, yeah. you lose weight. It's, it's simple as that. It for is, me, yeah. I'm not saying for yeah, everybody. That's but right. For me, yeah, yeah I, that's it. We we really should. We're not recommending anybody else go out and eat Carl's diet. I mean, <laughs> it's essentially the coming together of a ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting. That's that's it. It is that and bourbon. <laughs> uh, yeah, and bourbon. Yeah, and the drinking man's diet. Yeah, yeah, don't have to have bourbon to do this, of course. Yeah, no, fair enough. Good. Yeah, that's I'm, it. I'm glad it's working for you. Yeah. Well, uh, let's give away a mug, shall we? Sure, absolutely. So every show at this time, we like to give away a prize to one lucky member mm-hmm. of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And you can join that fan club just by going to fanclub.2keto.com, answer a few mm-hmm. questions, and you're on the list. And randomly yeah. might get picked for <laughs> uh, mug winning or other things. So who, who are we randomly picking on today? Today we are randomly picking Alan Vernon. Well done, Alan. Congratulations. 
He's getting a uh, coffee mug that says "Keep Calm and Keto On" with the dude's faces on it, and uh, sweet. Into which you can drink your bulletproof coffee, heavy coffee, yeah. cream, I don't bourbon. Know, whatever bourbon. I don't care. <laughs> we don't care what's putting it, Alan. Just enjoy no. it. Yeah, and if you don't want to wait to win a mug, you can always buy one at gear.2keto.com and pick yourself up a t-shirt while you're at it or uh, assless chaps. Or <laughs> can't do, say do that. Assless chaps. <laughs> I, I think I said. I think I just said it twice. Because <laughs> the prince pants. <laughs> Uh, uh, adult diapers i mean you know don't we put our faces on everything (laughs) whatever junk you can find just 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 buy some i don't know we don't make much money off of that stuff no we don't we just do it because our 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 fans love it yeah Yeah. and that brings us to oh my god i pegged it i gotta do that again (laughs) <laughs> and that brings us to Uh What you got, Cal? This is really funny because I just woke up and you're just going to bed, so we're both a little yeah, punchy. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a well, this is a great message on the forum mm-hmm. from Jeanette. Liver cirrhosis reversed. Wow. Huge non-scale victory. I've been on keto for a year, and my cirrhosis went from stage four to stage two <gasps> dash three. Wow. All from keto. My liver doctor made, well, strongly suggested that I start this way of life. The best wow. thing I ever did. I had a biopsy before I started and another one a week ago. I'm so happy. This is my life. Keto rocks. That is outstanding. Isn't that amazing? When you consider how much we rely on our livers when we're in ketosis, because our liver makes glucose that keeps our brain from slipping into a coma. Yeah. It makes ketones, which, you know, supplement that glucose so that it do, you know we don't have to make a lot of the stuff. And, um, and it really is the metabolic factory that's keeping us going. So it's, it's remarkable that with all of that extra work that it's got to do, um, you can heal so much. That's yeah, wonderful. That it is really wonderful. Is great news. Yeah. Yeah. Fifty ways to love your liver. Thanks, Jeanette. <laughs> you really, yeah, thank you. you really inspired us. So I've got one today from a newbie on the forum called Freak, and he says, <laughs> uh, "I have found the Two Keto Dudes podcast. I'm a 35 year old local truck driver. Uh, when I was uh, over the road a few years ago, I was 310 pounds, and I did calorie counting, and I lost 50 pounds in a year. Uh, but I was starving all the time. Mm. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, I felt my weight creeping up again. So I've tried calories in, calories out again, and I can only make it a few days without blowing the diet. I've been doing keto since Monday and hardcore binging the dudes to keep <laughs> me going and motivating me. Yeah. Uh, I've added lots of butter and salt to my diet, and last night I had food left over and I wasn't close to physically stuffed, but I had to wrap up my plate since I couldn't take another bite. Yeah. The scale has gone from 267 to 258 in a week and a half Also, mm. This lifestyle is insane. You didn't think it would work, but I believed in the dude's science and wanted to thank them. If anyone can point... Them to the post, well, um, I just found the post. Thanks, yeah. Rick. And uh, I'm reading it out on the show. Yeah. So if you're behind your rig right now and listening to the podcast, 
Welcome to the forum. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what happens here at the forum. No, just, to, just to reiterate uh, what you said before about Siobhan, we, this isn't our science. We're just bringing uh, it to you and saying, look at this. Yeah, it, it's people like Eric Westman who brought the science to us. And, uh, yeah. uh, and by coincidence, um, we have him coming up as a guest. Heard you say you're due for a little. And here he is, Dr. Eric Westman. Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. We did a show yesterday about satiety, and one of my arguments for it was that satiety is working when somebody who has weight to lose, while that weight is not contributing to their energy balance. And part of that has to do with their insulin preventing them from releasing. I mean, if somebody if somebody has, like myself, I've, I've lost 100 pounds, so my body fat has become insulin sensitive now. But my insulin levels are still raised high by other uh, tissue that are, that are holding it high. Then my body fat cannot contribute to the satiety calculus. All of the thousands of inputs that come in to determine where satiety should be. And so my thought experiment was really that if somebody has no body fat, then clearly they need to eat a plate full of fat if they're getting energy from fat. This is something Dr. Finney uh, told us. And if somebody has something stopping them from accessing their body fat, even if they have a lot of body fat, if something is putting a brick wall in front of it, they may as well have zero body fat. And so that was my argument was that uh, – and I, I, I didn't want to set you up in this by going down that route without letting you know that yet last week we, di we just discussed that and so – and I did an experiment last week where, you know, I've been on a plateau for a year or more. And uh, I mm. figured out that if I eat one meal that is exceptionally fatty, ketogenic, right? At least, you know, 70% fat, 30% protein. But just do that once a day. And I stop before, say, 5 o'clock p.m. And I don't eat anything else for the rest of the day. Not only am I stuffed to the point almost of nausea. And I, I eat until I'm just at that nauseated level, just just before that happens. Mm. That's when I stop. And I'm completely full for the rest of the day, for the rest of the morning, the next morning, and uh, and I'm and that's that's working. Weight's coming off. So it's a it's a satiety signal. It's not a how much fat are you eating. So we we sort of tend to think about you know once the carbohydrates are out of the way and you don't have the sort of brain a drug reaction to carbohydrates that you think is hunger, but it actually isn't. It's uh, um, you actually can trust your body's uh, hunger and satiety signals to tell you when you've had enough. Interesting. A couple things come to mind there. Do you get the feeling sometimes that eating makes you want to eat more? No, Richard. I sometimes do, and I also get the feeling if I go out and exercise, if I go ride my bike, if I'm hungry and go ride my bike, I'm no longer hungry. Both of those could be to do with insulin. Let's consider the case now of someone's lost 100 pounds, but they need another, mm. uh, they want to lose another 50 pounds or 100 pounds. Right. I have a lot mm. of people in that situation. Um, mm. The thing that we're not really talking about, and you can measure it in a clinical setting, is your metabolic rate. Mm. So, do you remember the, the piece, the uh, New York Times article from a couple summers ago about people who are on the biggest loser? Oh, yeah. And they yes. exercise, 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 and their mm -hmm. met metabolic rates went way down. Well, yes. and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's just 
our adaptation, right? So yeah. the more you try, like Chinese finger torture, the more you try to, to pull, the more it pulls against you. The more you exercise, sure. the more your hunger is going to go up and the more your metabolic rate will go down. In fact, Finney points out in a couple of his uh, well, studies, someone else did, but he points them out in his lectures, that some people gain weight even though they had less calories and they exercised more. And the only possible way that can happen is that the metabolism speed went way down. The amount that you yeah. just burn, you know, at night or just sitting. Or they're adding muscle yeah. by exercising and muscle is denser than fat. Oh, okay. That's a, I think they accounted for that okay. in that yeah. particular study. The sad thing about the Biggest Loser study, and, and Kevin Hall says this himself, he says, I can't really explain this because he was building this model that was designed to predict their weight change. It, um, it didn't predict their weight change or their metabolic rates. In theory, their metabolic rate shouldn't have dropped as much as it actually did. And then when they put all the weight back on, in theory, the metabolic rate should have gone back up again. What he's missing is the fact that their respiratory quotient stayed low and their, um, their energy expenditure, he was measuring their energy expenditure in kilocalories per, per day per kilogram, of body weight, their energy expenditure went up dramatically between when the, the show finished and then the six year later when he came to have a look at them again. They were still working really hard. They were still running on the treadmill for two hours a day. And the poor buggers, their, their body weight had all gone back up and their metabolic rate remained under 1900. You know, they went from 2600 at the beginning of the competition when they were overweight and about to start exercising down to about 2000. Through the, through the process of the competition. But then when he came back uh, six years later, their metabolic rate was 1,900. Their HOMA-IR scores, their insulin resistance at the six-year point was twice as bad as it was before they walked into the competition. So that caloric restriction broke those people and damaged them permanently. So it's a, it's a very, I, I think it's a very sad story. Of course, that also probably assumed that they were eating carbohydrates. Well, their respiratory quotient showed that they didn't all of a sudden go and binge on ice cream when they left the competition. So their, their respiratory quotient showed that they were still mostly burning. They, were, they, were, they went from 0.75 to 0.77. So, yeah, they, they didn't go up to one, which they would have if they all of a sudden started binging. Well, right, but point, so 0.7 would be totally keto or mm. taking away carbs. So, but if you're really sensitive to the carbohydrates and you get a insulin response or whatever else hormone. I hope we figure out all these other yeah. hormones, but you know, leptin yeah. was kind of a big letdown because it turns out that if you have a lot of insulin around, you're probably leptin resistant. Yes. Right. So, so yeah. getting more leptin is not the answer. And you know, it seems to me that we're as an obesity medicine doctor and uh, I've been president of the obesity medicine association. There are lots of ways to, to help someone lose weight. Again, you know, that Fort Knox idea that, that, but basically you're trying to get fat store that's there to save your life. And, um, mm. it, we're trying to come up with socially acceptable ways palatable ways uh the socially tolerable and helpful and, and even interesting ways for you to just eat less right yes <laughs> i take your point about insulin being the whipping boy because it is the 800 pound gorilla mm. 
And when you remove that from the picture, there's a lot of other monkeys that could be responsible <laughs> that you need to, to start well, focusing on. So, uh, you know, the, the idea that um, insulin is not new, so you can't really get money to fund studies about insulin. That that's right. why there are all these other things going on. Um, although you could creatively figure out how to do it, I suppose. Uh, but um, the more uh, I, I show these slides of the brain interactions that uh, that are now being studied of all the redundant pathways for feeling full and feeling hunger and all that. You know, it's going to be something that's hard to undo because if you don't eat, you die. Yes, you know? eventually. So, yeah. so, the, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> drugs, drugs can target these different satiety pathways and hunger and fullness. But why not just do it by targeting the where the money is? You right. know, target the yeah. fat cells. And um, interesting though that uh, Carl, your experience about um, eating once a day and feeling full and or feeling that, and in your experience, how has exercise affected? Uh, uh, Actually, Richard, you mentioned that you can exercise through hunger and then the hunger goes away. But I'm wondering what that hunger really meant. Yeah. You know, is it a blood sugar issue? Is it stress um, felt as hunger? I've lost all my weight, 80 pounds of it, with no deliberate exercise whatsoever. Last summer, uh, I took a couple of bike rides, but, uh, but I don't do any deliberate exercise. The thing is okay. that it, what's interesting to me about these uh, viewpoints is that it's clear that you want to eat enough fat to uh, raise your metabolic rate, but not so much that it interferes with, um, you know, the, the amount of calories that you're burning. Um, you know, there's like a, there's like a window there. And, and especially if you're eating one meal a day, that sort of keeps your insulin level lower most of the day, which is good. But now the question is, how much fat? And so I thought, well, I'm just going to eat until I'm feeling like there's no way I could have another bite. And then it uh, turns out that that worked really well for me. Now, I've only done it a week. So we'll, ha we'll see what happens after next week. But uh, it, could, it could be just a honeymoon. It could be a honeymoon could be just, period. Uh, his right. body just be adapting to right. you know, new things have happened. And <laughs> so. if, if I could scale that down... And, um, you know, eat less of it before that sort of pre-nausea kicks in and have and, and not be hungry for the rest of the day, I would do it in a heartbeat. Well, I have a lot of people who just naturally will eat once a day mm. or twice a day. And then I have a lot of people who can't unlearn the idea that I need three meals a day and yeah. two snacks. And it's like, they're, it's like they're filling up the gas tank on their car five times a day right. and it's full. So, so there are other things that drive the sensation of hunger. Yeah. And, uh, Jimmy Moore in the book Keto Clarity, uh, goes through other things that can be misinterpreted as hunger. I mean, all of these things, if your fat gas tank is full, whatever you perceive as hunger is not that you're going to be dying in the next few days or months right. i mean you know so all of these other things uh, the emotional eating component that we've been stress eating we things can raise we, ghrelin condition right can well you know I, i'm still figuring out how to to use that knowledge clinically okay. um mm. i've uh the other i guess the more practical idea of adding ketones is interesting have, have uh now that there are 
ketone supplements and drinks. While I haven't seen studies on that yet, I, I'm very curious about if that could help, although there are calories in those ketones. Yeah, I've tried to stay away from ketones very hard because uh, there's a big question mark over some of these. Um, some of the exogenous ketones are racemic and, and there are issues there with uh, stereoisomers of beta-hydroxybutyrate that we're just not, and we've, we've got maybe 30 years worth of experience dealing with and we've got potentially a billion years of experience dealing with the, the, the other form. And so I worry about that myself. But there's apparently, um, there's a, a new kind of uh, ketone that I want to find more information about, which is, uh, well, there's actually two kinds that are interesting. There's one from an English company associated with Professor Kieran Clark and Professor Richard Veach, and that is a non-racemic beta-hydroxybutyrate exogenous ketone. And then there's one in, that was used in Australia in one of these uh, studies done in Canberra by an exercise expert who has been very anti Tim Noakes for many years, and she's this is Louise Burke, and she's she did the Walker mm. study where I don't know if you know the, of the the science, but so she used a ketone in one of these studies, and it caused distress, caused gastric distress, and that could be the mm. reason why the performance of these cyclists dropped, and that's what a lot of people say. But the interesting thing about this ketone is it's two acetoacetate molecules esterified together, and so that's non-racemic. It's not a chiral molecule, so there's potential there. It's interesting now that we can eat ketones, but some of the early stuff on the market was, uh, it scared me. At that level of, of, is it a drug, is it a food, is it a how, um, in the old uh, life I had in nicotine and smoking cessation research, there was right. all this, you know, is tobacco a drug? Is it, So, it, it's interesting if if ketones... Well, I mean, food is a drug, right? I mean, even yes, sugar sure. is a drug, but uh, <laughs> grandfathered in. But um, I, I wonder if, like your concerns about, it's almost on the safety side. So, they might yes. work, but then you're going to want to see a thousand people on it for a certain period of time to get the idea of the safety window. Yeah. Yeah. I trust real food to be safer than something that's created in a lab. Well, that that's not very futuristic, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and also it, grains are real food, aren't they? I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> you know, I, I, those are, haven't been around all that long. I guess let me, let me phrase that differently. I trust my body, right? I trust my body more than I trust scientists in a lab to come up with ways to fool my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the Olestra thing, oh, yeah. the fat. Yes. That felt like- the road to hell is paved with yeah. Olestras. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I like your general sense of, of caution, um, but don't you think we can actually come up with a better diet than historically, you know? Well, we have one, don't we? What's that? We have one, the low-carb, high-fat diet. Well, but that was historically yeah, driven. True. So, But I mean, if if there was a formula that optimized, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like we still don't know everything about nutrition. There are new vitamins being discovered, yeah. for example. Yeah. So I'm not ready Absolutely. to just, like you, jump on whatever <laughs> a scientist is saying yet. So I know NASA are working on a kind of food that they can produce in space on the trip to Mars because they don't have enough payload to carry all the food that astronauts were going to need for the journey. So they need, they, they want to make a, a bacterial plant that can manufacture food on the, on the way. 
And one of the things, interestingly enough, one of the things that they're looking at is ha having the astronauts being ketogenic because um, that drives their redox state so that they, yeah. uh, they're less susceptible to radiation. Their redox state is tipped towards repairing DNA and a lot of things that are really good if you're in a high radiation space. And so you need less oxygen. Yeah. And you're, um, as, as uh, Finney taught me years ago, is you actually need less payload. Mm. If you have nine calories per gram of fat, mm. Absolutely. Uh, it, you need half the amount or uh, you get twice the calories almost, oh, well, a little <laughs> more than twice per gram. So, uh, I remember I called NASA, oh gosh, 10 years ago, you know, out of a naive attempt to see what was going <laughs> on. And it just seemed like they were worried about it having the astronauts urinating out their calcium and yeah. losing bones uh -huh. and getting stones. And so, yeah. I, that, that's a great idea, though, if uh, you want to um, optimize human performance with less oxygen, uh, less yeah. payload. and They should also get on the rocket with some belly fat so they got a little backup. Well, <laughs> get it. Yeah, but why not? Why not think about that on on Earth? Even yeah. we could mm -hmm. feed more people, perhaps mm -hmm. uh, with less money mm -hmm. or or less weight transportation. If we got out of this idea that you had to have carbs, yeah. In fact, I, yeah. I'm intrigued with the. Have you seen this TED talk by the uh, guy who suggests we could feed the world on insect protein? Oh yes, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. fascinating. It is fascinating. So, I mean, even even with uh, the idea of beans and rice as a staple is something relatively new, yep. and it was right. to get a complete protein that was inexpensive for parts of the world that didn't have much money. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, well, when you think of it, insects are, are very close to their arthropods, just like crustacea, and yeah, shellfish is delicious. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I'm sure there are insects that are delicious. I, we just need to find them. It's the UG factor. <laughs> I don't care about the UG factor. Hey, there's a book called Man Eating Bugs. And there's a, <laughs> a picture of a little boy eating a tarantula <laughs> on the cover of it. Oh yeah, my check God. it out. Oh, well. I met the authors <laughs> at a meeting. They're, they're really wonderful people and... They have a book on the material world and what people eat around the world. Huh. And anyway, yeah, they have one called Man Eating Bugs. Can we talk about the typical experience in the 90s when Robert Atkins came on the scene? And I can talk about mine and start the conversation there. But for me, I was only focused on weight loss. You know, I was in my 20s. I had 50 pounds to lose. And I just wanted a diet where I could get trim. And... What I took away from him was don't eat carbs, eat more fat. There was nothing really about salt in there. And now we know the science has come out and shown us that, yeah, when we lower insulin, the kidneys flush more salt. And so you need to take more. Otherwise, you're going to feel horrible. And um, I know a lot of people that gave up because they didn't anticipate that sort of keto flu those symptoms because we didn't know anything about that and uh, he didn't i don't think he even said anything about the adaptation period being you might feel ill but i remember basically people attributing it to the amount of fat they're eating when i eat fat i feel terrible and so a, a lot of my friends that did it sort of dialed down the fat and ate more protein and you know that got them some of the way there but then I think, I don't know what you think, but I think there was a lot of, 
you know, still a lot more than today, a lot of social pressure that you're going to kill yourself, it's dangerous and all that stuff. And those little voices in the back of your head actually do um, influence us, even though we may not want them to. And for me, that's why I eventually went off it because I didn't, there was, first of all, there's no infrastructure, like there was no coconut oil in the, in the, in the stores, you know, the, it was hard to get fattier cuts of meat. People look at you like you're going to kill yourself. Like it was that social pressure that made me go off. It wasn't the diet itself. I felt great when I was on it. Yeah. A couple you know, socially, the, now you can get riced cauliflower and even collie tots. Mm. You don't even call them tater tots because they're not taters, yeah. right? But um, mm. the the change in how people are teaching the diet is interesting. And yeah, Dr. Atkins, when you think about it, I visited his clinic a couple times. It was really a uh, consultation practice. Uh, a lot of people were in New York City, but a lot of people came from, you know, all, all over the place and had read the book. And it was like visiting the guru on the mountain, right? you know, and, and that, that doesn't, you don't have to make it work for everyone forever if you're the guru on the mountain. Sure. In fact, today on the internet, you don't have to have it work for anyone <laughs> other than yourself if you really are doing it. And, uh, so the art of it and the implementation of it in lots of different people, the metabolism, lots of different social settings, lots of different cultural uh, uh, approaches to food. Um, you know, in, in North Carolina, I have to teach people how to have avocados. And, uh, you know, if someone comes from California, I have to have them teach them how to have a pork rind. You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, so there, there are all these different beliefs about food and, and you know, spam is it. I'm, my mom raised me. I'm spam and, and, you know, she didn't want to kill me. And, but now it's, you know, not worthy of it. So Dr. Atkins didn't have to deal with all of, all of those things, although, um, the clinic did. Yeah. So, you know, I, when I visited, they, he had a staff of doctors and there were other doctors and nurses, including Jackie Eberstein, who's still working with yeah. me today. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, she's the lead of clinical program director for the heal clinic yeah. and we're trying to get this for lots and lots of people and and so she was able to um figure out for a lot of people how to help people stay on it for a long time the, the whole salt focus was a it's a finney effect mm, um yeah steve finney bringing it in and um although you know I, I can't say that i've ever seen a study and you know i'm squirming so it's yeah. uh this is a <laughs> study that needs to be done uh, yeah. looking at people who are counseled to have salt and counseled not to have salt it may or may not be such a big deal uh however um just the awareness of it uh, can help when there's side effects. Certainly the observation um, of the thousands of people in our forums and the thousands of patients that Jason Fung and Megan Ramos deal with and the, um, you know, the, the way that they say this is, this is almost like a, a panacea to cure, uh, things from hunger to, uh, you know, flu like symptoms, hard bowel hard movements, problems. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hard bowel yeah. movements. Fixes that, yeah, yeah, yeah. muscle tick. cramps, muscle cramps. Yeah. Uh, so it's my um, uh, remedies that you know people laugh when they come through, like resident doctors. Uh, you know, I, I push 
bouillon cubes yeah. and milk mm-hmm. of magnesia once at bedtime, a teaspoon every night for a yeah. week to fix muscle cramps and constipation. Yeah. And although the, the keto flu thing is kind of unusual, mm-hmm. uh, the other interesting thing is to, um, it'd be nice to have a, a series of people to kind of really get at the percent of people who are affected by these things. Yes. So most people yeah. who come to me, I ask them, did you have any side effects? They say no. Right. I mean, some people right. do have that. And just to put a handle on the percent, because some people don't do it for fear of getting yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So. It's true. I know people that also have never had the side effects. Eh. It may be that they are yeah. eating yeah. enough salt. It may not be. I don't know. I, th- I think uh, a randomized controlled trial needs to be done, and you should probably do that, <laughs> Dr. Westman. Thank you. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> there could be another explanation for that, though, because a lot of people who go on their quote-unquote Atkins diet or low-carb uh, or ketogenic diets may be hypertensive. So they may be restricting in advance anyway. Yeah. So they may have gone through 10, 20 years of restricting salt and then you put them on a diet and then they still restrict salt because they haven't been told yeah. and, and maybe they get more problems. Mm. And, and maybe Dr. Finney's insistence on hypernatremia being an issue is a corrective for hypertensives who are holding back on salt. Yeah, and you know, from my vantage point of monitoring people, that's just a discussion we have over time, yeah. and we're monitoring the pressure. Nowadays, you can measure your blood pressure at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I eat more salt than I ever have in my life, and my blood pressure is completely normal. And my doctor was stupefied by that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're yeah. teaching your doctor. Um, but think about <laughs> when you have carbs, you're actually holding on to salt as yeah. well. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you've noticed that if you... If you have some carbs the next day, you have, you're puffy Anima. or you have extra. Yeah. And that's the carb, insulin, salt retention. Yep. Um, and um, so people can feel better after having carbs. And it may be because they're holding on to salt better, not because they're fixing their blood sugar and they were going to die because their brain didn't have sh- glucose. That's true. And, you know, the, the, my, the sugar is an interesting thing. I, I heard a um, sugar cravings and addiction, heard a psychologist in Chicago give a talk um, at our national meeting, and he actually came out of a low-carb clinic. It was a fascinating right. talk, and he basically said, if someone's bored, they don't know what to eat, it's basically the sugar talking. It's <laughs> they they want to go back to sugar, right. and sure. and so the the, um, the people who just don't I can't figure out what to have. Well, look on the list. No, there's nothing. Yeah, we don't have any food in the house. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want some Cheerios. <laughs> yeah, it's the and because Cheerios turn to sugar. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You're teaching me more than I'm teaching you. Uh, hardly, <laughs> hardly. No, you're not not by. We've a long just shot. had experience. No. I suppose, uh, like your patients have, um, I'm sure. Well, uh, most of what I do is just reorient people back to the basics, you yeah. know? Yeah. They, they go out, they, they listen to this, listen to that, listen to their friends. The, there was someone else, uh, uh, listen, a patient came in, he said, well, Dr. So-and-so says I just need two weeks of keto. And then I, and I looked at him yeah. and said, look. Yeah. I get that too. I wrote the book. I wrote the book yeah. on this. Okay, you know. I am qualified to have an opinion. Or I'll say, go, go find him and go see him. Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, that, the internet is a, 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 it's a blessing and a curse. It is. I have a friend who did it for a while and then said, my doctor said that you do keto for a few weeks, you lose some weight, and then you have to go back to a balanced diet. And I said, he's wrong. 
And then, and then he pulled the credit credential thing, like, oh, this is a doctor who comes from Harvard Medical School and this and that, and he knows what he's doing. Like, in other words, how does my buddy here know more than my doctor? It's a really hard thing to convince right. people. And it's not me. Well, I didn't make it up. I just, I just know the research. Because doctors, doctors generally don't get any training. Yeah. That's the easy answer. Yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> Let's talk about Keto Fest. Yeah. yeah so, so, will there be a Keto Fest in 2018? Gee, I hope so. We're planning to do a Kickstarter very soon. And uh, the tentative date, of course, if it happens, it will be on the weekend of July 21st. Contingent on us being Kickstarter, yep. of course. Great. And I want to know from you, because you were there at the first one, tell me about your experience. Yeah, you know, I have to say there were several low carb conferences, keto conferences last year, and my favorite one was Keto Fest. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> it's very nice of you to say that. <laughs> the combination of a social Saturday and a science Sunday was not done anywhere else. And mm. I think that's a model for um, helping people who want to come and pick the brains of the experts. You know, I, I sat down under a, a, a tent with eating great barbecue and was learning from an engineer who had measured his own ketone levels for the last 10 years. Yeah. So, wow. um, so it's a two-way street. Yeah. You know, we both learn. And so the social Saturday and then having the lectures on, uh, in a format uh, being a part of it, but not the only part yeah. of it, was was really exceptional. And the bacon bar was pretty awesome I, too, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that goes without saying. Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest thing for me, and this is what a lot of people have uh, have come up to me later and said, uh, was that was going to a restaurant where the wait staff all knew exactly what this keto thing was all about and they knew what to offer you and to suggest. And, in fact, the the restaurant owners in a lot of these cases were all ketogenic and had just been ketogenic for the past month or so, so they had the zeal of the recently converted. Mm. And everybody else in the in the room, in the restaurant, was all keto. And it was like it, people came out of this experience crying because they're used to being the one weirdo in town mm. who, who order, you know, who eats straight butter or, you know, who, who, who refuses to eat bread, bread rolls. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're in a room with like-minded idiots, I guess, <laughs> like-minded people, yeah. you know, equally misguided fools who just are enjoying just the relaxation of just being. And think, wow, this is what every town can be like. This is what every restaurant can be like in the future. Yeah. Hopefully, at some point. Yes. Yeah, it was unique to have the downtown area with uh, all the restaurants knowing what low carb or keto was. And I remember going mm -hmm. to a, a wings place and, you know, there, there was no <laughs> worry about the, the sugar on the, the wings yeah. or the, the, the coating. And, um, and then there were also fun things to do. Uh, you could do a Segway tour or, or yoga. Mm. Uh, and, um, so uh, Keto Fest was really unique and, and I think was the best fair, uh, last year. I'm really excited that you're going to be doing it again. Well, we are too. And Thank we you. can't wait to have you and Jackie back. I'd love to be there. Is there anything else that you particularly want to talk about? Maybe something with Heal? Well, um, we're excited with the Heal clinics to be opening our first clinics in Virginia. Wow. And so nice. more listeners in Northern Virginia, uh, Chesapeake, uh, that area. Uh, we have 
availability to help people get off medications. Mm. Uh, of course, heal clinics will teach anyone at a distance as long as there's no medical condition that requires a visit to the clinic. Yeah. Yeah. Would you work with their doctors? I mean, do you work with uh, and consult with their own general practitioners? No, you know, it, there just isn't an awareness yet mm. of yeah. what other doctors just don't know how to handle the medications safely. Wow. So, mm. and, you know, at this time, I know if someone's on a medicine and they need assistance, then we won't teach someone at a distance. I, I wish I could yeah. say that other doctors are, are, um, how should I say, trained or, or competent, but, um, mm. I don't think it's safe enough yet. Mm. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's a pretty good conservative viewpoint to have uh, this early in the game. Mm. I think it's a great model, what you guys are doing at Heal and what Jason's doing at IDM and other consulting practices around the world, because people look to the doctors to be the voice of authority and be the voice of guidance and, uh, you know, answer the why is this happening questions and all of that. You know, as I see the world changing in terms of getting knowledge and understanding about keto, um, I see the heel clinics as kind of the just a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. A lot of people will be able to do this on their mm -hmm. own. They don't need the extra assistance. If someone gets stuck or if they're on medication and need that safety monitoring, that's the time to think of the HEAL clinic. Very good. Yeah. Dr. Westman, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. Keep it up. All right. Keep calm and yeah. keep on. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to uh, uh, a jam session. Absolutely. Oh, that's going to happen. <laughs> I've never heard Land Down Under sung with better so zeal. <laughs> no, it was fantastic. We've got to put keto lyrics to it next year. Well, I need to try and learn lyrics. I need to learn lyrics because I have this weird thing with my brain where the music overwhelms the lyrics yeah. and so I don't hear lyrics so I, I never learn them so <laughs> I, that was uh, I, I knew that I knew the chorus and that was it <laughs> I'm the same way that's interesting yeah that's why we yeah. have those little phones going we'll have there. a better keyboard for right. you this year too yeah <laughs> <laughs> one with weighted action all right thanks again I'm so glad you're still in this area in the game yeah we're happy to be here happy and honored Yes. Thanks again. Take care. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Eric. Heard you say you're due for a little. Ah, always great to talk to Dr. Westman. Absolutely. And we'll yeah. see him at Keto Fest. Uh, absolutely. Mm. Well, I'm a bit peckish. I'm a little bit hungry, too. I guess we should offer some recipes. <laughs> uh, Brought that one in for a landing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What do you got, Carl? Assless chaps. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as you know, I'm on this porky pork kick and uh, mm -hmm. all things pork and pork is like wonder food for me. So mm. this is just another way to do it. And uh, yeah. in a Dutch oven, a cast iron Dutch oven to be exact. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the hip Dutch ovens to have now are the La Crusade. Yep. I've uh, got one of those. Yeah. They're Green like, one. Yeah. you have to fill out a credit application to buy one though <laughs> <laughs> they're enamel they're, they're they're really nice but yeah they are you can do it with an old um uh, cast iron uh, yeah, cast iron works really yep. really well and loge cast yep. iron is affordable so um basically start with a three to four pound pork roast and mm -hmm. listen i'm not going to use any measurements because i love the idea that you can just feel your way to how much is enough right Right. The only measurement I'm going to give you is that we're using an entire lemon here. 
So <laughs> the zest on the outside and the juice. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. So you're going to essentially make um, a rub, but it's a wet mm-hmm. rub. You're going to have some olive oil. You're going to have some garlic, crushed garlic. You're going to have fennel seed. You're going to have chopped rosemary. Of course, the lemon zest and lemon juice. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have salt and pepper. That's pretty much it. If I had to guess about how much garlic, I think I used almost an entire bulb of garlic. Wow. I love garlic. I guess in a three, four pound pork roast, yeah. Yeah. It's going to go all over and it's going to go in the sauce. Yeah. I used maybe two tablespoons of fennel seed, maybe that mm. again of chopped rosemary. And I took the rosemary leaves off the stem and chopped it up fine. Yeah. You don't want the woody bits. Yeah. You don't want the woody bits. And uh, mm-hmm. salt, you know, maybe again, about the same, a tablespoon of salt, perhaps. It, it's quite a bit of salt. Mm. And what I do is I get a big bowl, you know, like a big salad bowl or just a giant bowl. And I pour mm. it all in there and I just, you know, roll it around and get it on every surface. Sometimes in a pork roast, there's a there's a place where you can stuff stuff inside, right? There's okay. an, a cavity. Yep. And yep. if there isn't one, you can make one, just Slit it, you know, stuff it in there. Mm -hmm. You just want it on every surface. And now take the Dutch oven and put it over high heat on the range, on the stovetop. You want to sear each side and get the Dutch oven up to temperature. Yeah. Meanwhile, while you're doing this, your oven should be preheated to 250 Fahrenheit. Mm. So the reason that I do the sear is I want to warm up the roast before in the pan before I put it in the oven. And Mm so I just want to, you know, start the cooking process right on the stove, but only for like a couple minutes per side. That's it. So now it's hot. Now all the stuff is in there. Now you cover it and put it in the oven and come back in two and a half hours. And that stuff is magic. Nice. That sear is probably going to hold in some of the juices uh, by searing the outside of the Maybe, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happens. But one thing I do know that happens is because you have the lid on, no moisture escapes. And that's really critical with pork. I mean, that's what makes it tender. Yeah. So now when that pork comes out, you take it out and all of the pan drippings you want to make a sauce from. And it's very simple. Add cream. Bring it to a boil. (laughs) And turn it down. And continue to whisk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not rocket surgery. (laughs) And heavy cream, I'm maybe talking, you don't really need all that much. I mean, but that sort of blends all the fats and the the non-fats together. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing you can do if you really want it thick is add some xanthan gum. Mm. And what I do is if I'm going to do xanthan gum, I cool it down first. I've said this a number of times. I cool Mm. it down. And then sprinkle some xanthan gum. You don't just want to pour it. You want it to sprinkle it while whisking. Right. So it incorporates into there. And it won't clump, yeah. And it won't clump. And then you got to bring it back to a boil, which you have to do anyway if you have cream. Mm. And then yep. once it boils, then you, you, then you bring it down and continue to whisk. And man, it's it, it, lemon, garlic, mm. rosemary, fennel, yeah. pork fat, and cream, black pepper. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. So I did something very similar with my porchetta and I did I put a little bit of mustard in it, seeded mustard as mm. well. And that also goes well with those particular flavours, especially if you're doing a, a creamy sauce. Yeah. A little bit of mustard. A little tang. Just, mm, yum. 
Yeah, you do need a that little tang, delicious. don't you? I mean, you got the lemon, yeah. but the mustard yeah, also gives you that back of the throat tang. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's what I got. Poor man's porchetta. Sounds delicious. So I've got one that is a continuation of uh, of my dim sum recipes because, of course, I'm doing these little plates. And mine is uh, shumai, which is a Cantonese uh, dim sum staple. In Australia, it's interesting that the Chinese immigrants first came to Australia during the gold rush in the sort of the early 1800s. And they made a version of most of their food from, uh, uh, a lot of them were from uh, Cantonese. And so they made a, a, a local version of a lot of their meals that they were used to, but using Australian ingredients. And they made this thing. And uh, it became so popular in Australia that it, it became a staple. So, and it was called the dim sim. Ah. Of course, that, this is just Australians mispronouncing dim sum. Um, but so the so the sum, and it really is a, it's like a little sumai, but uh, it's using cabbage. And that made me think, you know, maybe I could make sumai, which is normally a it's a pork and prawn dumpling that is in a wonton wrapper. And right. I thought maybe instead of using a wonton wrapper, we've already done last week. I did yuba, which is uh, the um, bean curd skin, right. and the week before you did chicken skin. Yeah, I thought what could we use instead of wontons? So I thought maybe cabbage. Mm. And so here's what I did: was uh, I I took a half a head of cabbage, and I boiled it up for about uh, two minutes in salty water. Yeah. And that, and then I used uh, tongs to separate the leaves, and it, I was able to slightly wilt the leaves enough to be able to depress them into a silicone muffin tin, okay, and or a muffin muffin uh, mold, and I, I was able to put the shumai straight into it, and it came out perfectly. Wow! Here's the basic recipe for the shumai. So uh, I'm going to use roughly a half a head of cabbage, and I'm going to be making twelve dumplings, and they're not. They're probably about four times the size of a normal shumai dumpling because yeah. we're using a, a muffin pan. Uh, so I've got a half a head of cabbage and about a tablespoon of salt, and that's to, to, to get the, the, the wilted cabbage. Now, the contents of the shumai normally ha use cornstarch. We're not going to do that. We're going to do some, we're going to play some tricks with, uh, how we, we handle the proteins. We're going to use the proteins to set themselves rather than okay. relying on cornstarch for setting it. Um, and so I, I'm going to take about uh, 250 grams of pork mince and don't get the lean pork mince. Just no. get the cheapest possible pork mince because that's the one with the highest fat content. Yeah. You can look at the nutritional information if you want. You can also just grind up a pork butt, right? Because that has- Well, that's all it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. If you if you feel like- I mean, the, the, I mean ground pork mince is-, uh, is Pretty easy to find yeah, uh, in yeah. Australia at the supermarket. So uh, 250 grams of uh, ground pork mince, about half a kilo of unpeeled raw prawns, or in America you'd call them shrimp. Mm. And uh, you'd probably call these jumbo shrimp, actually. Um, and the reason we have 250 grams of pork mince and 500 grams of uh, prawns is because when you peel prawns, you get roughly 50% of the, of the, of the flesh and roughly 50% of the shells. We're mm. going to use the shells. What we're going to do is we're going to peel all the prawns and we're going to put the shells in a fry pan and we're going to fry them with about oh. 50 grams of macadamia oil. Oh. We're going to make prawn head oil. And at the end of this recipe, uh, 
you're going to end up with this prawn head oil, which is like liquid gold. Liquid shrimp sauce. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Add it to mayonnaise, for example, to make oh, yeah. a dipping sauce for these. Oh, wow. it's so good. Anyway, All the flavor so- of the prawn is in the head, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it and is. So when and so that's when you make stock from shrimp or, or crustaceans. It's usually the bodies that, that make the stock, yeah. Yeah. I do, it's probably the brain matter as well. It's yeah, pretty maybe. nasty in there. But, you know, you fry it and you won't notice any of that. Yeah, of you course. Put some lovely macadamia oil and then you- And then and you, you strain you, it off. And you strain it Yeah, off. exactly. It's delicious. So we've got the pork mints and we've got uh, the peeled- Prawns. Now, there's a trick that I'm going to do with the prawns. What I'm going to do is I'm going to soak them for 30 minutes in the fridge, and I'm going to add some uh, baking powder to them, about maybe a tablespoon of baking powder. All right. What we're doing is we're alkalizing the prawns, and what that that we're we're making the 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 soaking liquid slightly alkaline, and what that will do is it'll force them, it'll force water into the prawns, and so they become more juicy. Yeah. And so it's it 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 means that the prawns are going to pop when you eat the shumai. Yeah, yeah. So we've got the prawns in the fridge for thirty minutes, and uh, they're getting nice and plump and and getting uh, delicious. We're going to take the pork mints and we're going to add about 15 grams of finely grated root ginger and about 15 grams of finely grated raw garlic. Oh, yeah. I use a microplane. This is a little gadget that uh, it's actually a woodworking gadget originally. But, and they use it um, extensively it. in Asian cooking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it, re- it really it, it, it makes a very fine grate. I'm going to add a teaspoon of sesame oil nice. and a tablespoon of Shaoxing Chinese cooking wine or cooking sherry. You could just use regular sherry as well. And, uh, and then two tablespoons of light soy sauce. Uh, and what you want to do is you want to start um, – stirring this with a spoon for about five minutes and what will happen is the proteins will start to relax in that marinade and it'll start to become gelatinous Mm. stir all in the same direction just keep going until it starts to become gelatinous and then put it in the fridge until the prawns are ready we're going to combine the two together and we're going to add to them about 50 grams of chopped spring onions Mm -hmm. and uh, that is going to make the fillings for our shumai now, when you uh, so say chopped spring onions, do you mean we we call them scallions here in America? Scallions I think. or shallots? Green yeah, onions? Yeah. yeah, it's all the same thing. Yeah. Oh, shallots are different than scallions. Yeah, in Queensland, in Australia, Queenslanders call what you call scallions, and what most of the rest of Australia calls spring onions. Queenslanders okay. call shallots. So, if you're in Queensland, right. it's a shallot, which is different from a shallot. Oh, a shallot so, is different from a shallot. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm just yeah. trying to keep up, man. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, it's, I'm just trying to keep in my head all these different uh, oh, crazy. names for the same food. So, so um, you, could use, you could use onion as well. I mean, just sure, any, sure. any of the alums. Nice. That sounds great. Now, I had to cut my silicone muffin mold in half to fit into my bamboo steamer. Uh, oh. I've got a 10-inch bamboo steamer and uh, it's you basically put put a wok on your stove, you put boiling water in the wok, put your steamer on top of it and you put the shumai inside the, the cabbage leaves. Now, mm. I didn't trim them or anything. I waited until I'd cooked the uh, shumai before I trimmed the leaves yeah. and, and uh, trimmed all the outside of them. And then just to finish them off, add a little bit of either salmon roe or caviar. Nice. Fish, basically fish eggs right in the middle of it, just as a little mark to, uh, it, it, it adds to the flavor and it, it's, uh, it sets your uh, dish apart. So that's my shumai. Um, that's and, great. Uh, 
Yeah, that's a, uh, another in my continuing uh, foray into Chinese dim sum culture. It sounds awesome. And, you know, I was thinking, as you were saying, when you steam things in water, uh, it brought to mm. mind one of my tips for instant flavor in cooking is any time that you're going to use water to boil mm. anything or yep. to steam anything, consider using a stock instead. Now, right. in your case, maybe vegetable stock or some shrimp stock. Well, I could have put the prawn heads after I strained them to get the prawn head oil out. Mm. Could have thrown those prawn heads straight into the water. Right. That would have definitely uh, that would have improved the uh, the quality of the steam definitely. Right. And it, you know, it just it dawned on me after you know I had my enlightened moment of cooking vegetables in under the broiler with olive oil salt and pepper <laughs> and just how yeah. that is the way to prepare vegetables i'm sorry any uh, anybody who <laughs> boils a vegetable <laughs> is committing yeah. a sin yeah, yeah. it is you a lost <laughs> opportunity there instead of mm. getting mush you get crisp fatty flavor that's awesome yeah. all right that's a show, my friend. Yeah, of course. If you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute, anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2 com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2KetoDudes, on Instagram at 2KetoDudes, and make sure to use the hashtag 2KetoDudes. And, of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And if useful swag is your fancy T-shirts, coffee mugs, I'm not going to say it, <laughs> other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, including 2Keto Dudes, Keto Woman with Daisy Brackenhall and the Obesity Code podcast with Jason Fung and Megan Ramos, think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. Or just hit the donate button on our website at www.2ketodudes.com or just go to donate.2keto.com. And you can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And there you can see videos from last year's Keto Fest. And by the way, Stay tuned for KetoFest. Go to KetoFest.com. It's coming up. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Well, Richard, keep calm and keto on. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Carl. All right. We'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Dudes.